and view. Oh, let's start that one over. Hey, listeners and viewers, <laughs> welcome back to another week's of education, the Teachers Talking Terror podcast, where I, Mike, and myself, Courtney, are going to talk about another scary movie that Courtney's never seen nor heard <laughs> of. Uh, this week, we are covering 1999's um, Sixth Sense Stepchild, I guess, in a way, uh, Stir of Echoes, a movie that I have seen more times than I've seen The Sixth Sense. Uh, and I do have a, a fondness in my heart for this movie. So, 1999. Boy, that was a year, wasn't it? I was a freshman yeah. in college. How old were I you again? I was three. <laughs> What's that? Three years old. Three years old. And I was in college. Um, September of 99. So, this would, have begin, this would have been the beginning of my sophomore year of college. So, uh, yeah. So, Kevin Bacon... Um, when I say the name Kevin Bacon, do you know who I'm talking about? Um, no. Honestly, the only, like, things, like, I've heard that name before, and one of the things I associate it with is, like, when Steve Jobs died, we lost Jobs. Hope we don't lose Kevin Bacon. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so more for the meme. Uh, yes. Which, which is unfortunate, because um, Kevin Bacon has earned his... Uh, I don't want to call him a superstar or a list, um, but in the '80s he was everywhere. Um, you know, movies like uh, National Lampoon's Animal House, Footloose, Apollo 13, A Few Good Men, um, Tremors is one that I really enjoy. He was in the original Friday the Thirteenth, Flatliners. He was in an X Men movie. Like he's just one of those actors that has been around. For a very long time, uh, the '80s were very kind to him. Uh, he was kind of your one of your little heartthrobby kind of kind of actors in the '80s, um, and it's just he's always just kind of been there. He does his thing, and he's solid at what he does. And so this is, I, I'll say, a lesser—I won't say a lesser performance, but definitely like an under the radar movie for him. It obviously doesn't have the staying power of of like Footloose, you know, something that yeah. has really made its impact on society. Um, but Stir of Echoes is definitely one where if, if you bring a Kevin Bacon into a movie and he's been in so much, if you bring Kevin Bacon into a movie, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, there's a game called six degrees of Kevin Bacon, um, which basically is a, it's a movie game about if you name two actors all right, it's kind of a fun game. You pick two actors and you try to make them as random and far apart as possible. Um, there's a theory that you can use Kevin Bacon to get these two actors to have been together. Um, for example, let me let me give you an example before we get rolling here. Um, if you were to say like, uh, let's say here, um, I'm looking for an example real quick. But it's it's pretty foolproof. Uh, uh, let's see, I'm rambling and rambling and rambling. Um, like you take, if you take something like, uh, um, oh good lord, this should be easier to find than what I'm doing here. <laughs> but everything has a bacon number. Um, like say you take. Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. You could tie everybody back to Kevin Bacon. You name one actor, and then 
you have you can get back to Kevin Bacon. So you take someone oh, like okay. Elvis, like Elvis Presley, mm-hmm. right? Like Elvis Presley's Bacon number is two, because Elvis Presley was in a movie called Change of Habit with an actor called Ed Asner. Ed Asner was in JFK with Kevin Bacon. Okay. Um, Ian McKellen, who played Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings movies, um, they've never been in a movie together. But Ian McKellen was in X Men: Days of Future Past with Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, both who were in X Men: First Class with Kevin Bacon. It's like it's just this fun little parlor game where um, obviously there's some actors that have been in movies directly, but you can go really yeah. far fetched. And the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is a game of like. You take somebody really obscure, and within six movies, you can link them to Kevin Bacon. So, uh, it's just fun. The guy's kind of been everywhere. So, uh, Stir of Echoes, where everybody in this movie has a Bacon number of one, uh, <laughs> is the movie we're talking about. So, how's that for an opening five minutes of rambling? All right. Um, so, this movie takes place in Chicago, and this movie takes place in real Chicago, as far as I'm concerned. Are you, do you go to Chicago often? Not the city, just the suburbs. Okay. When you, uh, so I, I would say I probably have been in the city more than, well, I won't say I've been in the city more than I've been in the suburbs because I feel like they're almost synonymous with each other. But I, I, I have spent a lot of time in the city. There were two, two, three summers I actually lived in the city. Two of those summers were like six week stretches. Um, mm-hmm. You know, lived in the city, taking the L everywhere, etc. And so when I think of Chicago, my wife's brother spent oh, a lot of years living in the city. Um, but when I think of, like, when I say real Chicago, this is what I feel like. It's neighborhoods. Yeah. It's camaraderie. <laughs> you know, it's not the Magnificent Mile and skyscrapers. It's it's what everyday life in Chicago looks like. You know, you go to work, you come home, you have a family, you live in a brownstone. Everybody in your neighborhood is who you hang out with and they're your best friends. Um, and so that's kind of what Chicago feels like. And this movie, I think, does a good job of capturing what Chicago feels like. Uh, we are introduced to the Winskys, Tom and Maggie, and their son Jake. Um, Jake is kind of a strange kid. Yeah, he is. And it, I mean, it starts out strong with that. <laughs> yeah. Jake talks to the dark a lot um, when he's alone. And he's not, and he doesn't ever seem like uncomfortable or afraid of it. Mm-mm. He's just very open minded and very communicative. You know, a lot of what you would expect of a kid who has an imaginary friend. Yes. <clears throat> um, Jake is just a blue collar worker. He works at the telephone company, hanging lines or whatever. Maggie is there, you know, she's just, they're just a fun little cute little family. Um, We also have Maggie's sister, Lisa, um, who is, um, she would have fit right in with last week's movie uh, as somebody who believes in speaking to the paranormal (laughs) and they speaks to spirits. Only not so much on a, I'm going to charge you to read your poem, but just more of a, Hey, I've got a Ouija board. Who wants to smoke some weed? And yeah, play around <laughs> and get um, hypnotized and yeah. And mess so around. Lisa, Lisa believes in the hypnotic arts. Something Tom does not believe in. Um, where Where do you stand on hypnosis? I I've like at the fair. I've seen it happen to people, and when you see it, it looks so real. But I've never had it happen to me, so it's something that I have a hard time believing in. I have been hypnotized twice. 
And so you are like a firm believer in it? Absolutely. And I, I would like to, and like my Erica, who was a guest a few weeks ago, like she is a very firm believer in like, like that her house is haunted and all of that stuff. But I've never, I've never witnessed it. So I'm like, I, I don't, I will, I don't believe in that. I, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in spirits and entities, but I do believe in the power of suggestion and both times I was hypnotized was in college and it was just kind of a, a, a like a campus event. Like we're, we're paying a hypnosis. Somebody's going to come in and, um, or a hypnotist, not a hypnosis. And so in both occasions I volunteered and I pulled up on stage and in both opportunities, I told myself this, it, like, I just, I, I don't believe it. It's not real. I'm mm-hmm. not going to fall for this. Um, but wow like yeah it uh in both situations the first one we were up on a panel of i don't know 10 people and just some of the things they were suggesting there was one i remember um we're all sitting in chairs of course and the the hypnotist got us all under their spell um and told us all that the that we're we are all strapped to our chairs and we cannot get up and when I snap my fingers or whatever the cue was, the person next to you is the smelliest person you've ever smelled in your life. And then boom, they clap their hands or snap their fingers or whatever, and we all wake up. And yeah, like in my head, <laughs> I I knew with absolute certainty that this is bonkers. There's no, no, this is not real. However, that person was pungent. And, um, and it was scary because everybody is, Nobody's getting out of the chair. Everybody's hopping around. I remember um, one younger girl, because I think it was like family weekend. One younger girl uh, fell, her chair fell over backwards. And so they had to like, they didn't stop the show, but they stopped that trick. Um, and because of course she started crying and the hypnotist was like, you could take her to the, take her to the hallway, but do not leave. Like you cannot leave the premises because she's still under hypnosis. Yeah. Even though she's, having a conversation reacting fine like if something cues her off you know so uh they kept her outside and after the show the the hypnotist went out and brought her out of it and then the second time i think was honestly i think the next year i volunteered again and i vividly remember i i was put under hypnosis there was again a panel of us but not all of us were put under at the same time so i'm put under hypnosis of there that i'm a rodeo rider and then there was this just giant balloon animal and it was that balloon animal is a, a bull and you have to sneak up on it and ride it and it snaps the fingers or whatever. I get out of my seat and I just, I remember, I'm like, this is not real. No, I know as I'm like tiptoeing up on this balloon <laughs> animal and I jump on and I take it for a ride. I mean, it's, it's comical. I remember that same show, me and another guy, um, we're hypnotized into being like uh, like Air Force pl- fighter jets. So we're laying on our bellies with our arms out wide, just making airplane noises or flying through the sky. Complete, I completely uh, believe in this stuff. Um, I, I wouldn't have prior, but, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to until, like I said, I was put under hypnosis. So, uh, so yeah, I... You gotta be careful. And from what I read in the in some of the notes about this movie is the scene where Lisa, this scene that we're getting to, um, 
we're there at a party and Lisa talks Tom into being hypnotized. Uh, she wants him to be more open-minded. That the the process that she goes through um, when they made the movie was legitimate hypnosis, and that it that they purposely put made sure that they filmed enough to where she took them out of hypnosis at the end, because I guess in the movie um, they were worried that people would actually fall under hypnosis during this scene so they wanted to make sure that they made the effort to bring everybody out whether that happened or not i don't know but um so tom goes under and when he comes out of it um he's different yeah he's different he uh he starts seeing images i not hallucinations necessarily but just he starts seeing images of violence and it's like a scene that he wasn't there for, but he's mm -hmm. seeing he's seeing the pieces of this scene play out, not necessarily in order. Um, and so uh, there's kind of this under understory in the movie that that Tom is now pulled into. Um, and he starts seeing, like I said he starts seeing that imagery. Um, lights start affecting him, kind of weird. Like yeah, like the red know, lights are like yeah, just real buzzy and blinding yes. um and meanwhile there is a there is a girl a 17 year old like mentally disabled girl um that had gone missing about six months ago from their neighborhood mm -hmm. um and so you know tom is he's rattled he doesn't feel right but he also i don't think he wants to give lisa credit either yeah <laughs> you know because he doesn't believe in it but he just knows like you were in there messing around in my head um and so they decide, uh, all the adults decide they're going to go out. Because there's, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? One of the other guys in town, in, in the neighborhood. Um, his son's like a football star. Yes. And he's on he's on pace to break a school record or something. And so um, they all decide they're going to go to a football game to watch. And uh, Maggie has a hard time finding a babysitter for Jake. Um, and then... Jake recommends a girl. Yeah, Jake's Jake's got Debbie. Yeah. It's like, what about Debbie? You know, it's like, so I'm so glad my kids did not speak to the dark. Because <laughs> honestly, Tom and Maggie take this in stride. Like, yeah. their kid is constantly talking to nothing. And they're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, she's like, who told you about Debbie? He's like, Samantha. And points Samantha. across the table. Right. And it's like. Nobody's there. You're not going to say anything? Like, who's Samantha? Yeah. Debbie is one of my favorite um, actresses in Gilmore Girls. I love Liz Whale. She. <laughs> so when I had seen her. I, uh... Gil Gil Gilmore Girls isn't necessarily one of those shows directed at guys like me. <laughs> so. I love it. And I mean, she's in some other shows that I watch, but. Yeah. I do. I was happy to see her. Um, but she gets to the house babysitting, whatnot, and Jake tells her that he um, sees Samantha and he's talking to Samantha. Yeah. And so she, like, kidnaps him pretty much. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile, Tom, Tom and Maggie are in line trying to get into the football game, and he starts, like, Tom starts see like, yeah. he can... He knows what's going on at home, even though he's not home. Yes. 
It's like he, he has this sixth yeah. sense. Yeah. Like he <laughs> he knows. Co- copyright, copyright. Yeah. Copyright. <laughs> but and, you're right. Like he like but he doesn't really fully understand what's going on either. Like it's all like impulse instinctual like something, you know, like he sees the light and then he's just like she, she's she's taking him, you yeah. know. So then he takes off back home. And uh, they're not there, so they end up at the train station. Right, because Tom just knows where they're at. Yeah, and Debbie shows him this picture, and Tom's like, no, I haven't seen them. But as they're leaving, he's like, "That that's a girl that I've seen. Because, right. like you had mentioned, like he was seeing, like he saw this girl sitting on a couch with him. And um, they kind of... it. I don't know, like, Maggie kind of brushes it under the rug a little bit because Tom's, like, very angrily questioning Jake, like, is she this old, is she this old? And it's like, he doesn't, there's just too much for Jake. Yeah, well, and it's a lot for Maggie, too, because, of course, she doesn't know idea what's going on. Um, Can we talk for a minute how how awful of a police officer this guy is? (laughs) Like, they get to the metro station where Tom and Maggie are like, that's the babysitter. We've never had her before. First time ever she she took our kid. And then the cop is like questioning her, you know, which is understandable. That's his job. And then her mom's like, she came here because of me. Our daughter's been missing. And this boy said that, the you know, and it's like that police officer quickly goes from like, he's there present for a child abduction. And then quickly flips over to the Winskys like, oh, yeah, you've, you've heard of her daughter. You know where her daughter's at? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, which side are you on, Cobb? Yeah. Like, she's just kidnapped this kid for real. For real. Like, and that's the like, thing we can prove. Yeah. And then, you know, the five-year-old, you know, is like, he mentioned the sister's name a couple of times. And suddenly the cop's like, oh, well, you guys must be guilty. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but you're right. They decide not to press charges. And that's the end of Debbie. Like, yeah. She was there just long enough to get in, to, to move the Samantha plot line along, and then that's it. But you're right, like, back home, like, Tom is, it, Jake it is like a kid who knows how to ration his sugar. Tom is that kid who's never had candy before <laughs> on Halloween. Yeah. Like, like, Jake is, he's experiencing a lot of the same thing Tom's is, Tom is experiencing. But because it's so new to Tom, mm-hmm. Tom is in overdrive. Yeah, he is. And he so like is, said, like, yeah. obsessed mm-hmm. with finding out who this Samantha is. Right. He doesn't know anything about it. He, he brings, like, it's just odd. Like, I'm... I'm glad the plot played out how it was because it really kept Tom from being a, a, a menace. Um, yes. You know, like, like you said, he's, uh, you know, he finds out the information from Debbie and the mom. But now, he, like you said, he's so obsessed that, like, even at, like, neighborhood get-togethers, he's just bringing her up at random. Yeah. Hey, what do you guys know about that Samantha Kozak? And they're all like, why are you thinking about her? I don't know. I've just been thinking about her a lot lately. Like... You're a grown married man, <laughs> and this girl's been missing. Like it just—it seems really fishy um, that he's bringing her up all the time. But we find out he brought her up for the wrong reasons. Again, Tom still just keeps seeing. It's 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 kind of cool because he keeps seeing events of the movie 
but they're playing in his head before they're playing in front of our eyes, mm-hmm. which is really, I, I really like how they filmed some of these things because, um, you know, we, we meet his landlord, Harry and his, and Frank, Harry and Frank are the dads of their sons. One's a football player and the other one's like his friend. So we've got these two teenage boys and their dads and that are, and they're all four of them are like, oh, she's ran away. Like, yeah. yeah, I remember Samantha. She was kind of a different girl. Uh, even one friend's like, oh, you mean the R word? Yeah. And they're even like, don't say that, man. Like, that's not right. Well, she was, you know, it's like just very uneducated, um, you know, but they're like, no, she ran away. Like, don't worry about that, Tom. She just ran away. Um, but again, like then Tom has that, that vision where like, he's just walking through the house and Frank's there, his friend. And Frank's like, they're going to, they're going to kill you, you and Maggie. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, everything looks so real. He follows him outside. He's sitting, you know, he's sitting on the, like he wakes up from a nap. He's looking for a boot. That's when he runs across Frank. Frank goes out and sits on the front stoop. And then um, Tom starts walking down the street and like goes to check on Frank's son. I don't remember which one it is. Kurt. Adam. 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 Uh, goes to check on Adam and this uh, this it bothers me Ugh, this part here um, where he like Adam invites him in and it just do you want to see what I have yeah you know, he pulls a gun and then shoots himself but then like crazily is like spastic wiping blood on yeah. his face like it's just but we know we know this is all a dream because as soon as that happens Tom wakes up mm-hmm and, and he's looking a, for his boot. And he can't find a boot. And even then, like, he even says, don't let it be under here. Like, uh-huh. like I just envisioned all of this. But then Frank's not there. You know, so things are off. But Tom's not convinced yet. Yeah. So he starts walking down the street. He sees the same male lady in the same spot. He sees the same dog sitting in the same front yard looking at him the same way. So there's enough here that Tom freaks. Mm-hmm. And takes off running to Frank's house, but he's too late. Yep. Because Adam, everything that he envisioned happened except the whole blood across the face thing as Adam shot himself. Um, didn't kill himself though. He's just in, he's just hurt yeah. badly. But again, nothing's still making much sense. No. And I mean, like he was, he was about to break like the thousand passing yards or running so it's like why you know like you're thinking is watching this like why would he do that like he's you know he's got a lot to look forward to but yeah we find out yeah we do uh we haven't seen jake and maggie for a while uh they go out to play um they're going for this fun little walk and it was cute you know Mm -hmm. maggie's following him whatever jake does maggie 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 mimics and it doesn't matter that people are walking like it was just cute like a mother and her son and they come across uh they come across a funeral of a chicago policeman um and you know they're all given their salutes and whatever and maggie and jake are standing back and like one of the police officers turns and acknowledges jake's presence you know which again fine whatever you know um just kind of waves a little and then uh you know, Jake and Maggie are still walking through the cemetery, which I said to my wife, I'm like, you know, the cemetery here in town is huge. Mm-hmm. It really is for a yeah, small town like we have. It, it is huge. 
you can't even fathom how big the cemeteries are in <laughs> yeah. Chicago. I mean, they are immense. Um, like, city block upon city block in size. Like, it's... it's, But they gotta go somewhere. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you got a, you got a city of million plus people, uh-huh. you gotta bury them somewhere. Um, and so, Maggie and Jake are just making their way through the cemetery, playing around. Well, this policeman starts following them. And at first, when I had seen this policeman following them, I thought maybe Maggie wasn't going to see them, and I thought that it was like a deceased policeman standing there kind of like, like Jake just saw him. Yeah. Yeah. Just because the way like he was trailing them and everything, I was like, okay, like, you know, this is something's going to happen here, but he was, he was alive. And, um, Neil was his name. And he said to Maggie, like your son, he's got something. And, and hit and you don't have it but his dad does right and like he just kind of knew that so he invited um tom to this like yeah address this, this ga- type this thing gathering yeah. of people who have this gift. yeah for the evening and maggie didn't tell tom about it right but she showed up. They were all just very, like, paranoid type. Oh, yeah. Shut the door, I get would her be, out. Yeah, I would be, too, if um, I had this ability that I couldn't turn off. Yeah, yeah. Of just of just my thought process being hijacked. And and really, Ma- I mean, Maggie, I think she just chalked everything up to, to um, Jake just having an imaginary friend. But then, like you said, when this cop confronts him in the cemetery... Mm-hmm. Um, and they never introduce each other. But then when, when the cop's getting ready to leave and he just says, bye, Jake. And Jake's like, bye, Neil. Yeah. I think it hit Maggie like a ton of bricks that like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is way out of my ability level. <laughs> yeah. and it's, It was like almost creepy, too. Like, <laughs> oh, man. What do you do as a parent? You know, you yeah. think you know your kid, but you only know your kid on the outside. Not what's going on inside. And um, Neil had told her at that meeting that whatever is is in Tom, like it's contacted them and it, yeah. it wants something. Yeah, basically like a ghost or a spirit. Yeah. And um, and the longer the longer it takes to give them what they want, the more upset and frustrated yes. they're going to be. If they never go away. No. And Tom has then like gone back to um lisa and he sees his vision he gets hypnotized again sees his vision and instead of the word sleep like last time it was dig so he's like okay gotta dig yeah well and and lisa lisa admitted that she tried something with tom that she's never done before like she basically messed with his brain Mm -hmm. a little bit um but yeah during the second time when lisa's hypnotizing him you you know, you're in a movie theater and everything's black and there's a screen, but everything's blurry and, you know, you're all alone and he's like, somebody's here. And she's like, it can't be. Nobody's there, you yeah. know, but we, we see somebody there. Um, but you're right. Like dig. So that's his next clue is to dig, uh, which he <laughs> proceeds he to do. <laughs> digs up the entire yard. Of the house he's renting in. Yes. I should say. That's a big no-no. Like, <laughs> like you're not even allowed to paint in a house you're renting yeah. in without permission. And he's like, I'm going to go ahead and redo all of the landscaping. Mm-hmm. And for the second week in a row, we get somebody that utilizes 
wet ground is the digger gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so he digs up the entire backyard, even puts Jake to work. Yeah. Which Maggie comes out almost, Maggie comes out just irate. Like, what are you involving him in? Of course, it was kind of funny because, you know, Tom's like, don't worry, it's not over there. Yeah. You know, like, I don't even know what I'm looking for, but I know it's <laughs> but not it's over not there. there. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so Tom's way off the deep end here. And he doesn't really even know why he's doing it. He's just mm-hmm. following these mental prompts to do what he's told. So he's digging, and he's digging, and he's digging, and he's digging. And he finds nothing. So therefore, he goes to the basement. Right. And and Maggie's like, I'm... Uh, her grandmother had died. And she's like, I'm taking Jake, and we're going. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's fine, go ahead. I got stuff to do here. You go, yeah. you know... Uh, and so it was just as much of a relief for Maggie as it was for Tom, because Tom finally gets his family out of his hair, and Maggie just needs some normalcy, as normal as your grandmother's wake can be. Yes. But still, it was people who were behaving the way they're supposed mm-hmm. to. Um, but yeah, so you know, this digging never doesn't stop. And you, like you said, he he heads. What did he go to the basement for? Oh. Um, Something. Oh, he moved the hose. He moved because he was trying to wet the ground. Yes. He moved the hose from one spigot to the other one, and that one didn't work. So he went down in the basement to check the water lines, yes. and then got the idea: I should be digging here. Mm-hmm. I should totally be tearing up the foundation of this rental home. Yes, <laughs> and he does. He's and not getting. They're not getting their security deposit back. No, they're not. And he. I mean, he tears up that the floor he knocks down the walls and he finds um this mummified body well he find yeah he finds the coat first yes yeah and then like it was because um maggie maggie does talk to J- to tom and he's like i'm all better now i'm better you mm-hmm. know i'm good and she's like well come on up i'll come get you you could be here in like an hour and um, so she's like, I'll, I'm, I'm leaving now. So she's on her way back to the house to get Tom. And this is when Tom's, like you said, he's digging in the basement, tear, tears down this rock wall. Jake did not want to go home because he was afraid of the feathers, which didn't make any sense, but whatever. Jake yeah. hasn't made any sense on movie anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Maggie's on her way home. It's now pouring down rain. Tom should have waited. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have had to use so <laughs> much water. Would have been so much easier to dig. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, he's got a jackhammer going in the basement. Like he's like tearing up the place. But yeah. Like I said, he finds this coat and in this coat is the mummified body of mm-hmm. Samantha Kozad. And he reaches out to touch her yeah. and it's just like a whirlwind of the story of what happened to her. Yeah, the whole scene plays out for him. And I really liked this part because in in that house, obviously, where he's renting are these two teenagers, Adam and Kurt, who we've, you know, met before. And they're like, hey, come on in. And she can't believe that they're talking to her, assuming, I mean, they had mentioned that she had had, you know, an intellectual disability. So I'm assuming not a lot of people from the way she reacted gave attention to her. Right. And um, she heads on in and they take advantage of her. Yeah. And she was like, she was not like she was resisting it. She was screaming. And so they just cover her up. Kurt, I guess, not Adam, 
Kurt covers her up with some plastic wrap and continues to rape her. Yeah, and she she suffocated, passed, she asphyxiated and is dead. Mm-hmm. Like they killed her. Didn't They didn't mean to. Yeah. But that doesn't make what they were doing any less horrific. I mean, correct. You know, it, it happened and it happened in that house. Um, and of course, the dads covered it up. Oh, she ran off. Yeah. You know, it's, it's good. And so, um, <laughs> I mean, Tom has destroyed everything in this house. Uh, and all before he finds the body. So now, um, is it Howard? He gets Frank first, and he's like, yeah. hey, I think I know why Adam did this to himself. Oh, right. Yeah. And Frank is like, I thought Frank shot himself in the basement. I did, too. Because... I don't know what Frank did then. Yeah, I don't know exactly know what he shot, because he had, I mean, after he had, Thomas comes upstairs, because then that's when um, Harry, Harry, Harry shows up. And Harry's the landlord, so yes. like, he he really had every reason to be over there and upset. Mm-hmm. Yes, but he's just upset for the wrong reason. Right, and, and Harry comes over with Kurt. Uh huh. And, and they're basically they, yeah they're they're gonna end it. Yeah, they're, they're gonna, gonna t- yeah they're kill gonna kill Tom. Tom. Yeah, because when Tom brought everything up at that neighborhood gathering, it it's obviously now we know it was mm-hmm. it was all them. Yeah, Harry. And Frank were in on it. I think Frank carried more guilt than Harry, obviously. Yes. Did. But then again, you know, Kurt. I mean, Adams already injured himself. Kurt is. Was Kurt the one that was? Was he the one raping her? I don't. Remember. Yes. So it's like Kurt was obviously the worst of the two boys. Yes. Um, and Harry was covering up for his for his son. So they come over and they're they're gonna kill. They're going to kill Frank or Tom. They're going to kill him. Um, and like you said, Frank was down in the basement and we hear a gunfire. We assume he killed himself. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what he did with that bullet, yeah. but whatever his plan was worked because Frank comes upstairs to the rescue and kills Kurt and Harry mm-hmm. with the gun, takes them out as they were. I mean, they were going to, like, yeah. they, they had Tom to the ground and Harry had a pillow, like, between Tom. Yeah, the, like, yeah. we're going to shoot him through the pillow to silence it. Um, so they were committed to taking him out. Uh, and that's where that whole scene from Frank earlier of they were going to kill you mm-hmm. and Maggie both. Like, all of that now is where it's playing out. Yes. Um, and so it's like that. I won't say the premonition from earlier is what saved Tom's life. But Frank definitely saved Tom's life. Yes, he did. Um and Maggie's too, because Maggie at this time she pulls in mm-hmm. and uh, and notices something's off because she honks the horn a few times, then the lights start to go out, and like it, yeah, it was it was close. It would have yeah. been close if Frank actually had taken his own life, but yes. he didn't. Um, and so it all kind of wraps up here. Um, you know, they Maggie interrupts Harry and Kurt are gone from Frank. Um, and this is where Tom notices Samantha's spirit shows up again this time. And it's kind of a cool sequence is like the camera's uh-huh. panning and like she's in the window and it pans away from the window and then she's standing on the on the sidewalk. She puts her coat back on. Like she's she's happy. Yes. What she needed Tom to do, he did. He's released her spirit 
and she kind of fades away as she's walking across the street right before she gets hit by a car, which is like, I like we knew she wasn't going to get hit by yeah. a car, but and uh, cut to uh, um, Maggie and Tom like loading up a U-Haul. They're out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I where where did Tom put all of the stuff in the rooms that he was destroying? Yeah, good question. Because those because those rooms were pretty much empty. Uh huh. So, uh, but yeah, so. Tom and um, Tom and Maggie are out, and as they're driving away, uh, they're driving down the road, and we just hear whispers and voices. Um, you know, Jake's looking out the window of the car, and it's like all of the spirits of the dead mm-hmm. in the neighborhood are talking, like calling for him. Yeah, Jake, Jake. You know, and it's like, oh, that's that's gonna be terrifying. Yeah, living that way. So. I'd be like, drive until I don't hear anything, Dad. Exactly. Uh, Samantha gets a proper burial, and that's Stir of Echoes. That was it. I liked it. I'm glad. I was hoping you would. I liked it. I like these. Yeah. And I, I, think... I did. You can definitely relate it. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen The Sixth Sense, yeah. but it it is very much like... Right like that one you see what i was getting at when yes. i said it's like it's in they get compared to each other yeah. quite a bit but they there are a lot of differences mm-hmm. um you know and and that i think do you see what i mean where this has a little more rewatchability yes six cents it's like it's all wrapped up in that twist and once you know the twist it's not it's yes. not really there anymore this movie you know it's got a little more staying power um and so i i do i really like this movie the, the guy who wrote the novel, Richard Matheson. Um, do you remember uh, the Will Smith movie, I Am Legend, that came out a few years ago? Yes. That is based on a novel called I Am Legend that Richard Matheson wrote. Um, okay. It had, been re- it had been made first back in the 60s called Last Man on Earth. Same storyline. Uh, and then remade again in the 70s. Um, called the Omega Man and then finally for the first time by Will Smith called I Am Legend that's the first time uh, but Richard Matheson has um, has written a lot of novels and short stories that have turned into to movies uh, this one uh, being the one that obviously we talked about but there's others as well that um, he's very prominent in the sci-fi kind of horror area and so um, so it's based on a novel it wasn't necessarily a, a just a original idea but still, yeah i i thought it was i thought it was successfully made so stir of echoes um shall we grade it yes okay i'm curious because i know last week's movie got a c minus from you <laughs> it did but this, this week one? this week has come back um i really like this one anything with kids i feel uh-huh. like it's like a little extra creepy just because children are so innocent in the yeah. aspect. Um, I'm giving this one a minus. Good. Um, it it had a good like the good the plot was good. I liked, you know, it had good acting. Um, yeah, I really like this one. Good. Uh, I'm gonna go B plus on it. Um, I do. I really like this movie. Uh, it, it doesn't try to do more than it is. Yes. You know, you you're. Filming a movie in Chicago, based in Chicago, but you're just sticking around in a neighborhood. 
you're not showing us the bean. You're not showing up at Navy Pier. You're not going to, you know, the Sears Tower or Wrigley Field. It's like, no, you're just keeping it in, yeah. a, in a neighborhood. It's like, that's what real Chicago looks like. And, and they stay there. So I do. I like it. And it's even then, like, everybody in this movie, it's like they're all just normal people. Like, even mm-hmm. the sister-in-law, Lisa, like, she's into hypnosis, but she's not good at it yeah you know like she just dabbles i feel like everybody in this movie just kind of dabbles they just you know nobody is wealthy nobody is you know rich and taken care of they just milling along their day and then this happens to them so uh b plus for me good job good job all right educational lesson time what kind of what would it be like being a teacher in this environment oh my goodness spooky (laughs) I mean, like, my kids already kind of pretend to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Things like that. Now I'm just like, oh, man, are you talking to someone you see in this classroom? <laughs> um, this one, again, is hard for me because these last two weeks have been extremely hard just because I'm like, it didn't venture far out of the the realm of it, but I guess I could talk about the older boys and like they they made like a choice that was not good and yes they did tell their parents but obviously like the guilt of that caught up with one of them because he killed he tried to kill himself over it and it's just like you you do bad things and it's under it's not understandable but tell somebody else i mean you know don't hide that don't hide the secrets talk to somebody about it just kind of on that realm of things because obviously it ate him alive yeah yeah fair enough um i'm gonna go a little different route and say that learning disabilities or or qualifying for special education or however you want to phrase it um doesn't have a look um people with with disabilities don't always physically showcase those disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I think Samantha is a perfect example of that because she was a, a by all appearances, a quote unquote normal looking person, mm-hmm. a normal looking 17 year old. She was attractive. She was well-dressed. Her family cared for her, but there was something, some disability um, that she as an, as the actress in this role was supposed to be showcasing that left her decision-making to be waning. And it showed because this obviously was a red flag situation of these two boys that never talked to you or inviting you into this house that you've never been in. Um, and then you go that, yeah. nope, you shouldn't have done that. And then while they're there, um, she's actually the one that introduces, you can kiss me if you want to. Like, just because a person suffers from some sort of disability or suffers not the right word, I'm gonna take that one out just because a person has a certain disability does not mean they don't want what everybody else wants. She yes. wants to fit in. She wants to be popular. She wants to feel important and she wants to be liked. And all these things are happening all in a rush. And she made some decisions um, that she felt were appropriate for her. But it's important to know that you can't look at a person and just dictate whether they have a disability or not. Um, especially as the as special education has really developed I remember in my time in elementary school, 
uh, my elementary school had the the school district severe our special education in the 80s um and at least in my home district was if you were special ed it's because you were severe and profound mm-hmm. you were wheelchair bound uh you were nonverbal. you were you had extremely low motor skills you had to be fed you wore bibs like severe and profound that's what was special education which means everybody that was adhd everybody that was dyslexic everybody with attention disorders everybody with behavioral disorders everyone with emotional disorders they all sit in your classroom yep every single one of them um and it's and then we went through this phase where we overdiagnosed mm-hmm. because we were trying to figure out what qualified and so suddenly every kid who was lazy uh had some sort of disability yeah um and we've gotten much better i feel like we've we've kind of ironed things out a little bit and i think realistically we're going to find out if we keep pushing on this path that because there is no clear and cut decision on what quote unquote normal looks like we all suffer from something yeah um and so i would love to see education head towards an individualized education plan for everybody uh, which does make it extremely difficult for teachers. Yeah. <laughs> but but you'll find, like now, so many of the accommodations being made are universal accommodations anyway. Yes. Yeah, and it's like... I feel like, like in my classroom, not all of my kids have an IEP like you had mentioned, right. but I do make those accommodate. Like, I know my kids that can push a little bit harder right, than the right. ones that need more help. So... Exactly. Yeah. And so um, I guess that's my takeaway is it's important to note that disability does not mean they physically look a certain way. And so for anybody out there that watches this movie and they look at Jennifer Morrison playing Samantha Kozak and say, she's supposed to be disabled. She doesn't look disabled because she doesn't look disabled. That's not the point. You know, something cognitively was was misfiring to the point where she was unable to process uh, decision making and that's kind of what got her into the situation she was in it's unfortunate it ended the way it did yes but that's what got her there so that's my takeaway two two weeks in a row i just kind of ramble um, you're fine so all right well you you mentioned last show afterwards that you had a couple of movies on your radar yes i do and i have sent them to casey and i told him to pick one Oh, he gets to pick. <laughs> he is. And so, um, I guess, unless you had a preference, which, nope, I mean, nope. you've seen the one. But you didn't see The Possession of Hannah Grace, right? No. Okay. No. So, that's the one that he picked. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was curious which direction he was going to go. So, next week, we will be covering uh, the, possess- the Possession of Hannah Grace, starring uh, your girl, Shay Mitchell. Yes. I know nothing about this. Uh, it came out... 2018. 2018, so three, five years ago. Um, 5.2 on IMDb. And uh, names that I recognize in the cast. Shay Mitchell's name I recognize, but I couldn't tell you what she does. What What was she in? Pretty Little Liars is what I oh, like that, her from. That's why I don't know her. <laughs> Another show that's not really directed at me. Yeah. Um, yeah, Possession of Hannah Grace. A uh, new one for me and for you. This might be one of the, outside of Terrifier 2, this might be the only other one that we have not seen at all. So, yeah. 
possession of Hannah Grace. I see it deals with exorcism and resurrection, and I'm just reading the mood. I'm reading the words that pop that are popping up in the trailer as it's playing. So, all right. Well, that sounds like a plan. We will be back next week to talk about the possession of Hannah Grace. Uh, social media, you know where to find us: uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can like and subscribe down below if you like. You can tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your neighbors, tell your family members. We don't care. Spread it high and low. Um, I posted last week's episode, and even before I got it shared out on social media, the YouTube video had three views already. So I like to think that somebody has subscribed and that they get the notifications on when we have a new episode. <laughs> so that, that's what I like to think. It may not be that, but it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so that wraps up another week of education. We will be back next week for the possession of Hannah Grace. And we thank you guys for coming back. So you hope you have a good rest of your week.